Town Bank Mortgage. NMLS number 512138 is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Well, I hope you're ready for it. Because it is Jobs Week. That's right. All the data from July we are getting this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the markets. I'm always so surprised at what day it is. I got to do like a pause there. The Monday edition of Markets and Mortgages. I am the aforementioned host of this podcast, Tyler Crawley, and it is Jobs Week. So, and it's not a weird jobs week like we had in July, where we had July 4th right in the middle of the week, which totally screwed up how the data was going to be released. This month, we will be getting the typical releases uh, kind of every day, another release as we wait for the big non-farm payroll. But what's interesting about this jobs week is that it was preceded by some very favorable inflation data that we got on Friday, the most important inflation data. I know the media, we like to get very, am I, am I part of the media? I don't know. I do a podcast now. I used to, when I was on the radio, I was part of the media. I don't know if I am anymore. Um, but those who talk about inflation, we love to talk about CPI. I don't know why. Um, I have no idea uh, <laughs> because it's not the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. That is PCE. Maybe CPI has more data or it fluctuates more or whatever it may be. But the Fed does not look at CPI. They look at PCE. So the movement, the moves in PCE are far more important for what the Fed is going to decide to do versus what happens with CPI. And just like CPI, we got some very positive data this month, because it is still July, it is July 31st, so I got one more day of this month being July, we got a good report earlier in the month, CPI, PCE was also as good, in fact, PCE is now completely aligned with CPI, amazingly, they are both now sitting at 3%, and that was a big drop from the prior month, so Let's look at the data. The personal consumption expenditure price index rose just 0.2% in June. That was higher than the 0.1% that we saw in May, but was in line with what economists were projecting, which had an influence on the year-over-year number, which was now or has now slowed to 3%, which is a big drop from the 3.8% that we saw in May and is now at the lowest level since March, 2021. So I really got to get a round of applause button. (laughs) You know, when I got my new uh, podcast set up, uh, there was not a lot of good news happening. It was not a lot of good news. So I was like, I don't need an applause button. Why would I play applause? There's no good news happening. Now we're seeing some better news. So I do need to add an applause button here to my uh, setup. Uh, And then adding to the good news, we all know that while the headline number, we've seen big drops in CPI and PCE, 
the core inflation data has not been as good. So, you know, so it's kind of funny for the longest time, the run up, the inflation run up where we saw, you know, PPI at one point hit like 12%. I think CPI peaked at 10 something percent. I don't know where PCE peaked. I think maybe 9%, something along those lines. But that run up was driven by energy. Energy prices were skyrocketing and food prices were skyrocketing and core inflation was actually remaining somewhat stable. And we have now completely changed places where now food and energy are, energy is definitely, that's, energy is deflationary. We are seeing price drops year over year. Food is slowing. I don't know if it's having a deflationary effect, uh, but it's slowing big time. And now the big sort of sticky parts of this data is core, is, uh, core inflation. And core inflation continues to be a problem, but it was better than expected in June. So we can take, we can take that away from the report, which is, which is nice. Uh, core PCE slowed to 4.1%. That was down half a percent from the 4.6% that we saw in May and was lower than what economists were projecting. They were projecting 4.2%. So that's the good news. And then there's even more good news. I know it's pretty, this is, this was a pretty good report all around. So we got the headline number falling to 3%. We got core inflation falling more than expected. And then we get spending. Spending continues to remain resilient to start the summer with spending rising 0.5% to an annual rate of 19.07 trillion. That is up from the 0.2% rise in May and higher than the 0.4% economists were projecting. And so why I say that's good news is, you know, spending is two thirds of our GDP. So people spending is, is good for the uh, overall economy. But what's great about it is that you're seeing an increase in spending but not an increase at a higher level of inflation. So people are still spending and prices are slowing down. That's the good side. Uh, and then also a good, what's the word I'm looking for? Good data. <laughs> good data point uh, is that incomes were up in June, not as much as economists were expecting, but they rose 0.3% to an annual rate of about $22.8 trillion. That is lower than the 0.5% rise that we saw in May and was lower than the 0.5% that economists were expecting. So why am I saying it is a good data point? Because inflation only rose 0.2%. So that means incomes are rising faster than inflation. Now, they're not rising faster than spending, obviously, but they are rising faster than inflation, which is good for people's kind of psyche. So the, the, the reverse is going to happen where when you have inflation outpacing wages, even though people may be happy with their situation, they're going to realize that they're losing out to inflation. Now they're going to be like, hey, things are good. I'm now, my wages are outpacing inflation. So that, that is a good sign. And then, uh, of course, always looked at savings rate. Uh, after a rise in May, the personal savings rate fell back to 4.3% to an annual rate of about 862 billion. So, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, what's funny is I think we were at 4.6%, then it fell to 4.3, then back up to 4.6, 
and now back down to 4.3. So it's been kind of seesawing for the last four months. But overall, I mean, this, this was a damn good report any way you look at it. I mean, we got the headline number slowing to 3%. We got core PCE, core inflation slowing faster than expected. Spending, though, still uh, elevated faster than inflation. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, Tyler, people are spending more because they got to keep up with inflation. Well, if you're spending 0.5% more and inflation's only at 0.2%, then you're actually spending more. <laughs> so it's, it's actually uh, not equivalent. And then incomes are up more than inflation. So all in all, a very good PCE report. So that should make the Fed very happy. And that, of course, happened on Friday. And this week, as I mentioned, it is jobs week. Now, this morning, we did get some interesting global data. I forgot to mention this. Uh, the euro area, they had uh, second quarter GDP. That number came out better than expected, which has pushed equity markets in Europe. They're all up here about a little over halfway through the trading day in Europe. Everything is green across the board. Is that having an impact on, say, our markets? Well, pre-market, we're all in the green, so maybe. Uh, and then bond markets, pretty much kind of quiet. Um, uh, early this morning, the 10-year yield was up about point, was about one basis point. About 30 minutes ago, it was down one basis point. Now it's back up, one, not even one basis point. So it's, it's kind of muted, which makes sense because we're getting a lot of jobs data. And that is going to have a big impact because we can continue to see a cooling, but not sort of a catastrophe, a collapse, I should say. I knew it was a C word, a collapse of the labor market. Uh, that's sort of that soft landing that everyone's been talking about. So if we can see inflation fall while still keeping employment at these elevated levels, that's pretty good. Uh, oh, and so, by the way, the GDP growth rate for the euro area was 0.3%, which was higher than economists were expecting. They were expecting 0.2, and that was up from the first quarter, which was zero growth. <laughs> so good news for the euro area. And speaking of the euro area, on Tuesday, we'll be getting some housing price data from the UK. It doesn't really have a huge impact on it. It's just interesting to see what's happening in sort of global markets, uh, what's happening with European real estate, because you've heard about some of the chaos that is happening in the UK with housing because the loans over there are adjustables. And so with the central bank, the Bank of England, pumping up their interest rates, there's a concern that we could see a collapse in, in housing prices. Now, of course, if there was a collapse in UK housing prices, it would not be the domino effect that, say, the US housing market was back in 2008, but it is important to look at what's happening because we do have people who are invested globally in these markets. And when you do see all of a sudden collapses happening, liquidity dries up, it can create problems in other markets. So it's always important to see what's happening. Uh, they're expecting home prices to be down about 3.8%. Not exactly catastrophic in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and then we finally get our first jobs report for the week. Job openings are projected to fall. I think they fell last month. So this would be the second or third month in a row. Uh, to 1.9%, plus a fall 1.9% to 9.63 million, continuing that kind of cooling of the labor market. But like I said, no, not a collapse 
in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we also get ISM manufacturing data that's expected to see a slight rise to 46.8. Then on Wednesday, of course, as always, mortgage demand and rate data from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Then we get ADP, the employment report, which <laughs> remember last month showed, what, half a million jobs, and then non-farm payroll was not even half that. Uh, they're expecting 190,000 new jobs in July. And of course, everyone says no one cares about ADP until they come out with an interesting number and then the markets move. I mean, they moved the markets last month. That ADP number came out and bonds skyrocketed, or I should say sold off yields skyrocketed. So ADP is weird. It's like one minute, no one trusts it. And then the number comes out and then all of a sudden it's, it's moving markets. Uh, then of course on Thursday, we're gonna go back to Europe. Bank of England is projected to raise their interest rates to five and a quarter. I think that's exactly where the ECB raised theirs to last week. Uh, then we got jobless claims and uh, mortgage rate data. So Thursday, besides the Bank of England decision, not a lot of huge data here in the U.S. Uh, and then non-farm payroll, the big report, 200,000 jobs. So kind of in line with what we're hearing from ADP. Oh, and then it is the beginning of a new month. So we will be getting some home price data from CoreLogic and Black Knight. And so, see, I'm not sure what's going to happen when the end of the month is the beginning of a new week. I think we're still going to get it later this week, but I'm not sure exactly what day. So we will, usually it's like Monday and Tuesday, but usually the Monday is the start of a new month. So we'll see if we get that data because I think Black Knight's first, and then we get Core Logic. So when those come out, we'll talk about them here on this podcast. And I think, oh, oh, by the way, I'll post this in the show notes. There was a great piece over at Bloomberg about pent-up demand in the housing market. Uh, headline, lots of U.S. homeowners want to move. They just have nowhere to go. And <laughs> it's, it's the inventory problem. And it's kind of funny because I've, I've noticed this happening on uh, Twitter with a lot of the, the crash bros, you know, the guys that have been predicting the housing crash for three years now, and they're slowly transitioning, you know, because all this year they've been like, oh, look, housing prices are finally crashing. Look, all this inventory is entering the market. And it's true. You do have places, Arizona, Texas, certain cities, Austin's one of the big ones. Uh, of course, out West, you're seeing big price drops uh, or, you know, I mean, Big price drops relative to the rest of the market, 10% in some places, most under 10%. Uh, and you're seeing a lot more inventory in those places, but not the overall market. And so they're kind of shifting to, oh, okay, well, you know, this isn't going to be the crash because now you, you're seeing home prices rise and we're like barely off the highs. <laughs> like everyone's come out now and said housing has bottomed and is on the way back up and will kind of stabilize. Uh, as we get to the fall. So now the crash bros are shifting to, okay, but you know, when rates drop, then we're going to see the crash. <laughs> so, it's so good. It's so good. So like originally it was, oh man, when rates skyrocket, oh, crash the housing market. It's going to crash the housing market, which of course made no sense. And I was saying that from day one. I'm like, why would it crash the housing market? People don't have arms like they did in 2008. There's no one's readjusting. So why would someone with 3% mortgage not make their payment because 
mortgages are now 8%. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Made no sense. I'm not even that smart. It made no sense. <laughs> and so now they realized that, that was dumb. And so now it's like, oh, oh, when rates fall again, then we're going to see all these people sell and it's going to collapse the market. And it, I, mean, I think there is going to see price movement. But remember, the people are selling because they want to buy another house. So you're pretty much going to see an equal amount of change in demand as you are supply. So if I'm looking to sell and buy, you're going to see really no change in the supply and demand equation, which isn't going to have a huge price. It depends. I mean, obviously if you have a huge amount of starter homes that all get listed or a huge amount of kind of that kind of middle, you know, before you get to the dream house, that kind of middle, that kind of that, that, that second step. Uh, yeah. You could see an, an overabundance of a certain type and in certain areas that could be true. People say, okay, hey, we're going to get out of California. Let's sell the house. We're kind of seeing that now that could happen. That could definitely happen. But overall, once again, we're talking about national markets. Um, overall, I don't see that if this pent up demand hits the market, there being some huge crash in prices because everyone's listing their homes because there's also going to be met with an increase in demand. They're going to move in tandem. Just like what happened here. When <laughs> demand dropped, supply dropped. And what happened? Very little price movement. So why would if demand goes up along with supply or supply goes up with demand, it also is going to have very little impact. I mean, this is basic economics, people. You don't have to be a genius to understand this. I understand it. I'm far from a genius. All right, now we're done. So read that piece. I'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. You guys enjoy your Monday. Get ready for Jobs Week and enjoy the Monday. Like I said, we'll talk to you Tuesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait. 